Economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to our show. I'm producer Jason Dawes, and here with me are our hosts, Dr. Russ McCullough and Dr. Levi Russell. All right, so today I thought, uh, in light of the big uh, story about potential recession, the stock market decline in the last several days, the and coming all coming apocalypse. Yeah. <laughs> the trade war with China being potentially part of that. Of course, you know, everybody mm-hmm. wants to assign, you know, some kind of explanation to these types of things, but it reminded me of a conversation I had a while back when I was at the University of Georgia with Jeffrey Dorfman, who was a guest on our podcast at one point in the past. And we we talked we were talking about this uh, idea of the productivity growth slowdown. And so uh, we're going to put an article up in the show notes so that you can look at kind of the the framing of this issue. And so in European and North American countries over the last since about 2005, uh, there's been a significant slowdown in labor productivity. Let's the, define that carefully. Yeah, yeah, too, right. So <clears throat> the, the total output produced per you know labor hour in the economy. So you could look at that as um, you know at a <laughs> micro level, I make a hundred hamburgers per hour per labor hour. So you put in ten hours and you make five hundred hamburgers. You can do the math and create that type of equation, and then that would be more of a physical way of looking at productivity. Uh, But in these aggregate accounts, they tend to look at it monetarily. And so especially at the country level, they're measuring it as gross domestic product per labor hours worked. And that gets into the mix of the prices of all goods and services and the quantities of all goods and services as GDP is the dollar value of all final goods and services produced within the nation's boundaries over the course of the year. So over that time frame, that also then matches our income as the nation. So that's where it's, when we think productivity measured as GDP per hour, uh, it's like an hourly wage in a sense too. So there's kind of different ways to look at it. I think it gets a little messy at the aggregate level, but um, that's kind of where we're taking this, that uh, economists measure that. Uh, at various levels. And at least this article that I looked at, it looked like it was GDP per hour. Right. And so this one, what I think is interesting, so they're they're showing a big slowdown in growth. And so if you, if you look at the charts in this particular article back in the sixties and seventies, you know, so maybe the the statistics are a little weird around the wartime and stuff like that. And it's hard to really is making a whole bunch of tanks really productive. We don't really know, but you know, after the second world war, you could look at the sixties and seventies and there was a lot of productivity growth over that time period. And of course it makes sense, you know, technological advancements and stuff like that over that time period were pretty serious. Um, But obviously over the last 15 years, we've also had a lot of technological advancement and you know, we have all the, you know, all the information that's on your phone that the average person certainly didn't have in 2005 I remember I, I graduated high school in 2005 and I don't think I knew anyone who had a, a, like a real smartphone back then. So, you know, they had the PDAs and stuff, but you know, so we've had a lot of changes in technology. And so you would think that as technological change increases in speed, that would increase our productivity at an even faster rate. Yeah. 
And so, and, and, and let me just, uh, on the definitional stuff, I don't want to get too hung up on, but I think it's important because this reminds me of like, uh, we faced a budget cut. Well, really, we were going to give you an increase of 10%, but now we're only giving you eight. You know, <laughs> it comes down to like yeah. government spending type budgets. And here it's kind of similar. The article's looking at the labor productivity slowdown. So it was growing at 2.4% between the years 2000 to 2004. And then later it was only growing at 1.7%. So it's still a positive growth rate of GDP per hour worked, but it is smaller than it was the time period before. It's growing more slowly it's than it was. It's growing more slowly yes. than it was. And that is an important distinction because I think uh, especially the media could run with that and make it sound different than, than maybe what it is. And I think the big question is whether, is there possibly something good out of that or not? But uh, definitely the, the puzzle that you're presenting is certainly Correct. Yeah, we kind of have this gut feeling it should be increasing at an increasing rate. And so this article, I think what, what they do very well is they try to come up with some microeconomic level explanation. So instead of just saying, well, you know, this is just the way GDP goes when some big aggregate, you know, change is being made. And those aren't, to me, those don't, aren't usually very uh, satisfying explanations. But in this case, they kind of dig into some different sectors. They talk about Changes in demand over time, you know, people, uh, you know, when, when, when technology changes, it changes the, their, their preferences for new products and it talk about aging populations and there's all kinds of explanations. But it reminded me of a conversation I had, like I said before, with Jeffrey Dorfman and he was, he, he really thought, he seemed to think that a lot of it was due to just the fact that we have social media now. So you know, Facebook was born in 2005, 2006, I think. And it, you know, it slowly kind of trickled into um, the rest of the, you know, the rest of the world after that, you know, Twitter came along and Instagram and all these different companies. Um, and I, I don't think I'm not putting words in his mouth. I don't think he would say that's the only thing, but, you know, especially in the last five to seven years, social media use has just exploded. And, you know, it makes a ton of sense. I think in a developed economy, right, most people's jobs are not physically building stuff, right? We're not assembling things nearly to the degree that we were before. And so, you know, a lot of people work at a computer or they at least have time where they're sitting down they have their little phone. And so in terms of just a very micro level, looking at, you know, one person's productivity, you could tell a story about somebody's productivity going way down because they're just spending all their time scrolling through, uh, you know, social media feeds instead of doing work. And, and the same thing we... <laughs> The studies that have been out that I just got done telling my students since I just started class this week that each time you get interrupted, the amount of time it takes you to re-engage. So yeah. after that first interruption, I can't remember the exact time, but it might be like 40 seconds or maybe even as long as three minutes, I think, depending on the interruption. But it was like more than a, a large multiple to re-engage in whatever you were doing. And if those interruptions are continuous, then yeah. it would potentially lead to a fairly large productivity slowdown. And I think we all can attest to that to some degree. Yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of psychological and neurological stuff to talk about with that. And so it's, it's kind of like, you know, people, I think you know, people talk about reduction in people's attention spans over time. And so that would play into what you're saying a lot. I mean, that, mm -hmm. in other words, that attention span isn't just the time you lost being on that distraction, but right. it's also there's 
there's the, the time lost after that trying to re you know remember what you were doing before and all that sort of thing. Yeah, and certainly the also rules of thumb over the years have been uh, emails don't have don't be continuously interrupted with your emails. Pick certain times during the day that you're going to check your email, maybe once at noon, once at four, or whatever, so that you're not even getting those interruptions. I've heard that multiple right. times over the over the years. Well, Jason, I'm kind of curious since you're out in the real world. Like, have you what? What is your observations of your of your peers? Uh, I've heard just because of you've told me that you're one of the most productive workers in your space. And is that because you're not on your phone all the time, or what? I I think a lot of it has to do with maybe maybe it is attention span. A, a lot of the job can be kind of tedious work. And I think that's the part that people kind of slack off on. And once you once you slack off on the tedious work, then man, that that stuff can pile up and start to hinder other work. So if you're not like staying on top of things consistently, at least at my job, I've seen that really hinder people. Give the listeners a little example of, or, or a little more on what you do, like uh, so, the process that you're going through on a day by day. So I work in the trucking industry. And so let's say I have a list of people who are moving freight for us and I need to go through and do my updates and make sure everybody is where they're supposed to be. And if I don't get that all done today, well, then I come in the next day. And if that shipments didn't arrive, then I have to answer a lot of questions for Mm -hmm. customers and things like that. And tracing truck drivers specifically, it's tedious work. You have to talk to people, try, try several times to reach them and, but it's a really important step. I think a lot of people don't. So have you developed, I mean, what's your personal philosophy on this? Do you pretty much keep your phone wide open or do you try to restrict yourself from those interruptions or not? Uh, so I typically give myself time to get up from my desk and walk away. So if there's a time I'm going to be on my phone, it's not going to be while I'm at my desk. Mm-hmm. It's going Very to be much. one of my little breaks that when I'm walking around the office. Is that a company policy or is that just your personal policy? That's my personal policy. We do get a uh, 10 minute breaks like throughout the day that they, that they're totally comfortable if you're not at your desk for a certain amount of time during mm-hmm. the day. But yeah, that's, that's my policy on it at least. Do your other colleagues do the same thing or do a lot of, I'm just trying to get a feel like our other millennial, you got mostly millennials, right? Or I uh, mean, about half and okay. half. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, are, are they self disciplining themselves like you are, or are they kind of doing the normal thing and they're allowed to keep their phone? And if they get a little message notification, they just, that's the way they do their job. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not against company policy to have the phone at your desk. Yeah. So it's definitely something that can distract people. So in an anecdotal way, we have the most productive person in the office who has a personal policy of not using your phone while you're at your desk and only doing it when you walk away on your breaks. And then you've got the other people who are less productive and at least a handful of them are having their phones at there. So we've solved it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so I I think we should take a break, but but after the break, I want to talk about something that, that we went through in, in my business ethics class way back when I was an undergrad and, and talk a little bit about some of the kind of the, the Silicon Valley, uh, you know, we're going to have a ping pong table and everybody's going to sit on beanbag chairs. And I think, I think that can, maybe we can talk about that a little bit too. And I think it plays into this. So uh, we'll come back to that after the break.
By 2030, the Gordney Institute will be known for its alumni, supporters, and participants who incorporate economic understanding with their faith in their careers, vocations, communities, and personal lives. The Institute will be a nationally recognized source for knowledge and contributions to student experience, society's understanding of private and public solutions to poverty, and the overlap of markets, governance, and faith. Young audiences will look to the Institute for challenging and engaging education on faith and economics. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. If you use iTunes, please consider giving us a five-star review. It helps other people find us. We'd like to do a mailbag episode, so please send your questions to info at GourtneyInstitute.org. The Gourtney Institute at Ottawa University is the best place in the Midwest for students interested in freedom and justice and its impact on human flourishing faith, and economics in action. If you or someone you know is looking for a college like that, contact Levi or Russ today. Okay, so we want to continue our discussion, and, and before the break, I kind of teased the, the stuff that I wanted to get into. So, you know, when we're talking about productivity, uh, labor productivity specifically, and, you know, how, uh, how do certain uh, things in your life affect your productivity at work, and so we talked about social media, and I think what's interesting is that social media is, can be thought of as just sort of one of many tech, technological things that have changed the way people do their jobs that might actually reduce their productivity, even though in other ways it can increase it. So when I was in my, my business ethics class at the end of my undergraduate degree, I remember this one story uh, or this one kind of thought experiment that we went through where, you know, imagine you have this job and everybody works in teams and they're kind of, you know, all cordoned off into their little areas for their little teams. And, the, 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 the building has all these sensors, you know, to figure out how productive people are. Right. So like big brother style. Or? Yeah. And so if, 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 if everybody's kind of feeling lazy, well, you know, the psychology literature says that, you know, the color red makes you, you know, more excited and stuff. And so the walls are such that they can, you know, change the color of the walls and the right, the, 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 the light changes and everything kind of turns red so that everybody kind of gets charged up and, you know, if everything's getting overheated and everybody's getting frustrated and angry, they put calming blue colors on the walls and everybody calms down. And so all kinds of different things like this where, you know, and then the professor was like, well, you know, is this, is this a good thing to do? Is this, is this the right way to, you know, have people interact in a workplace? You know, the idea is that like you're sort of manipulating them in a way. And so it kind of makes me think of, you know, so this was before really, I think a lot of these kind of wacky Silicon Valley kind of companies we're trying to come up with ways to provide entertainment for people on the job. And so you think of like Google and, and all these companies where it's like, oh yeah, we, we, you know, we have fun here, right? Everybody rides a goofy looking bike and, you know, we have a, t- you know, table tennis and we have, you know, beanbag chairs for everybody and all this stuff. And it's like, man, you know, you would think that all that time spent just messing around promoting leisure, right. Would, would make people, it make you lose focus, right? Like you were saying before, Russ, like you're losing focus. You're not, you're not staying on task. And so 
you know, I can see how it would, it would maybe if it's used correctly, it would be good, right? Like if it's, if it enhances your 10 minute break, it helps you kind of get away from the office for a second and kind of collect your thoughts. But I don't know if I was sitting in a beanbag chair all day, you know, wearing just like shorts and a t-shirt, I just don't think my head would be right. You know, that I wouldn't, it's like, it's almost like, you know, you dress up a little bit and you kind of, you feel a little bit more engaged and you feel like you're going to pay attention more. And so it just seems weird to me. It's like with this whole digital age thing, it's like, it kind of divorces our primitive brain from the task at hand. Mm-hmm. So I, I wonder if, you know, social media functions that in that way too, not just in the fact that it's a distraction, but just the fact that it's so different from a normal workplace interaction that you have with real people and that kind of thing. Something I think about when on that kind of topic of companies trying to do all of these things, it's also to draw in a certain certain crowd, right? So oh, sure. they're, they're trying to get that new new blood in the office, that young, fresh look on things. And sometimes a lot of those companies are, are doing those things specifically to make it more, more attractive to a younger em- employee group. So there, there's this big movement in Kansas City, for example. I, I know, have a lot of friends who work at the big companies in Kansas City who the companies are trying to find ways to get uh, younger younger people to come work for them. And they're doing things like upping PTO at an earlier age. They're doing a bunch of things to try and boost company morale and things like that. So I think it's not just about the people there, but it's also trying to attract more people. Sure. Yeah, in today's uh, tight labor market, that's the case. So one, one thing that bothers me with this type of analysis is I think something's missing in the terms of the value that people have on the goods that they're making. So in the market system, we only see what people buy and what they pay shows the minimum amount they value that product or service, uh, but not how they actually fully value it and how much benefit that's giving the individual. So as we're making more and more of these tech goods, and we're here talking about whether that's competing, you know, with the workplace and productivity. If we're using GDP in the numerator upstairs divided by hours, the price of those tech goods have gone down dramatically over time. We had that chart from that previous podcast that we had, right? And so I'm imagining that we've got on the edge of technology, there's, there is this productivity increase that's not being captured in those numbers that are now pumping out lower priced goods, right. which then make that productivity number fall. But in reality, those are exactly the goods that we really enjoy a lot. And we probably get a lot of consumer surplus on when we think about our, our big gaming screen that we have that we probably in days gone by might've been willing to pay a thousand dollars or we get a thousand dollars worth of value in it we can pick it up at Best Buy for 150 bucks or something. So I'm thinking that if we really started to break down the things that are causing the slowdown, the increase in prices from uh, more government-directed goods of medical, uh, healthcare, and education might be disproportionately skewing some of that analysis because there's so many things involved with it at the aggregate. Well, so my question about that, so I, I'm, I'm not 
an expert on GDP by any stretch, but Normal. isn't isn't there supposed <laughs> to be some kind of hedonic adjustment for quality? I, I mean, I thought there was some kind of adjustment that they try to put in there to okay, yeah, TV is you know this one TV is cheaper five years after it was created, but isn't there supposed to be some kind of adjustment for that? They changed the mix, uh, and I I don't either. Short of what I you know get out of our principles book, but some of those hairy details we don't get into that level of detail. Yeah, but right. but they do change the basket of goods, and they've tried to make adjustments for quality, but inherently. You can't really do it, especially the longer the time frames. Um, yeah. And technology's uh, an awful one to try to pick too, because that computer two years later is so much faster and so much better, but yet you know its price is lower, but it's giving us that much more value. And I well, just potentially think, right, but I think I think that's what plays into it is you know all of this the the massive reduction in the cost of cloud storage is what has allowed you know, these free social media programs to exist. Yeah. I mean, as you know, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram are all free because the little bit of advertising money they can get from you as the user is very large relative to the cost of the, the cloud computing and stuff like that. And so if, you know, it's, it's almost like it's sort of an endogenous relationship, I think is, yes, you're right that, that potentially the numerator is, is declining in value the way we measure it because, uh, you know, we're not capturing this, adjustment in the, the hedonics of it, the, the value of it. But at the same time, if we're looking at the labor side, it could also be the case that, you know, there is a, a pernicious effect of that too, that because it's, it's, it's rewiring our brains. I mean, I saw something uh, the other day on the news that this doctor was talking about that because people look down so much now with their heads, they're actually, so your neck, your neck muscles can't handle <laughs> that strength. Into a, yeah. So like there's a little, there's a little piece of bone on the back of your head that's actually getting bigger because your neck muscles need a bigger attachment to hold your head <laughs> up like that when you're bending over. And so it's like, it's not just changing you, you know, in terms of your ability to, to pay attention to this stuff for a long period of time, it's physically changing you. And it's like, maybe not all of this stuff is really great. You know, I don't know. Like it's, it seems like it, at least that there could be a way for you to, to tell that story about labor productivity. If it's, you know, reducing. Well, and they also talk about tension this being job in this article being job rich. So the product productivity slowdown is job rich, but hours, I, I can't remember exactly how they broke it down, but what I was envisioning them saying is that as hours grow or whatever, it's because there's more people working less hours. Mm -hmm. So there's lots of jobs and, and that's the way our unemployment rate is measured also is whether you yeah. have a job or not whether that's a 30 hour a job or a 40 hour a week job, right? Yeah. And your, your hours are in that, in that measure. So in some respects, if, if you can afford to, you know, live a pretty happy life with your uh, gaming stuff and your Twitter and your other stuff and, and put in 30 hour work weeks, you know, maybe life overall isn't all that bad, even in the face of a, our aggregate measures of productivity showing some sort of slowdown. But I think that that could be on the, on the other side too. It could be a, sort of like a pseudo discouraged worker thing where people are just having a hard time piecing together. Uh, there was a, a guy who he's, he's a commentator. I can't remember his name, but he worked for some white house back in the eighties and he said, he calls them breadwinner jobs. The statistics don't, the, the labor statistics don't pull out if you have a, 
full-time breadwinner type job that he calls it. It just, we just capture how many hours you're working maybe. And so it's, could be a, a, a discouraged worker thing where, you know, people just over time, because they've been unable to find one of these breadwinner type jobs that they could have had in the past, they've just kind of adjusted their consumption level lower to count for this 30 hour type job. And so it could, could be that, 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 that's where increase in the labor force participation rate might be hiding some of that type of, of, of thing. It could be offsetting it a little bit. So does God call us to, since this is our faith in economics, I wanted to weave something in here. So are we called to set our phone aside knowing that that might make us less productive? Like are we called to be as productive as possible while we are in our employment relationship? I think the answer, at least to some degree, is yes. I mean, because in otherwise you're kind of stealing from your employer if right, you're yeah. shirking, right? If you're not operating to the the best worker of your deserves his wages, and, but and, the, but that assumes that you're working. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, the worker deserves his wages, so pay pay your workers. But yeah, yeah you have to actually be working for that right. to be the case. <laughs> so I think you know, just to bring in a loose faith perspective, I was trying to think of how that plays in and, and whether it's, it's a different way of looking at it from a calling perspective and being a good steward of, of God's resources and that sort of thing, that this call to productivity could be taken from a biblical standpoint as well. Well, I think that's what's interesting about it too, is that it, it is that this technology blurs the lines a lot more than it was, you know, than the lines were blurred in the past. If you got a company vehicle you know, okay, that was maybe a relatively rare thing, but you were, you were potentially just kind of, you know, well, just use it. You're going to use it. You're going to use it. Yeah. You know, and maybe they put a big sticker on the side and then you wouldn't want to use it to go to, you know, or or something. Right. But, (laughs) but, uh, but you know, now it's, it's sort of like, well, every, we just assume everybody has a smartphone. And so we just, there's this, this assumed availability. And so, yeah, maybe you're, you know, messing around at work, but you know, we're also, we've also got you, you know, yeah. and you're getting emails on Saturday night. It's, uh, it, I think it blurs that line to some yeah. and I'm sure each company policy, you know, we're, we're bringing up the beanbags and all the, the millennial friendly places, but I think there's plenty of others that have, at least over time, taken the approach of check your personal phone goes yeah. in the locker or stays right. here and here's your company phone or whatever yep. and get to yep. work and a little bit more. But you're right, and your lack of productivity was more visible to your to your foreman or your manager yeah. when they could see that you're not yeah. you're doing, doing, you're doing piece something. rate work. I mean, it's pretty obvious if you have a, a stack of 10 chairs or if you have a stack of three chairs, whether you worked hard that day or not. But since everybody's overhead now, it's pretty hard to tell. Well, that. and I know they measured at my son's internship the productivity where he punched in like on the computer for a particular job for a client that was mm, doing it. Right. And they could monitor how much stuff he was doing productivity wow. wise. And when I brought this up to my executive MBA students in Phoenix, who are mostly software people and they're like, Oh yeah, that's not, that was like normal for them. But to <laughs> me, course. when I learned that I'm like, Oh, that's an interesting way to measure productivity. Right. Because right. he did a certain amount of work in a certain amount of hours and it's, it's kind of quantifiable if, right. if he was, not getting the work done in that time. So so I was going to say on, on the other end of things, so while you have these jobs that kind of give you maybe a little more leisure at the workplace and you're not maybe actually working and doing the job, on the other end, there are a lot of companies who create busy work, like unnecessary busy right. work. Yeah, and yeah. so 
NPR did a really, really fun um, podcast about it, actually. BS Jobs, talking oh. about the meaningless oh, yeah. work. So we'll that, have to put a link company, to that in the show notes. Yeah, so that, you've got it pulled yeah, so you I can do. give it to Levi. Um, okay. This David Garber, maybe that's how you say his last name, but uh, he wrote an article talking about how this idea of meaningless work that companies are adding to make you do work, mm -hmm. even though it's unnecessary, is right. really, really bringing, bringing the morale down and, I don't know, making jobs. Right. Yeah. So it could be the case where like your job has maybe, maybe during a given day, you have two really intensive times where you have to do a lot of work and then to fill the gap in the middle they're just giving you a bunch of other junk. Cause yeah. I mean, to me, it's like, why would they just pay you to do busy work if there wasn't any other, like in other words, there must be for some reason, like they're trying to keep you there all day or something for those two really busy times or something. Well, during, like yeah. During know. the productive times, yeah. they're making a lot more money off your whatever right. $15 yeah. an hour. They're, you know, whatever you're doing is very productive. And they're just and trying so, to keep you engaged in those other yeah, times. And those other times, well, I got to kill some time and you want your paycheck. If it's an hourly, I assume it would probably be an hourly thing. Yeah. You want your check and I want to reward you, but. But it is funny how that just sort of assumes that like. But how much more rewarding would it be if, if all they're doing is milking the time and it's just the stupid busy work to say, hey, why don't you punch out, but I'm still going to pay you for the hours you're not working. You know, the employee thinks you're the best. If you well, and that's the thing is they, they kind of assume you're just dumb and you don't, you don't, you don't realize that they're just giving you busy work that doesn't do anything. But of course you're going to realize that. Wow. Well, it goes back to things like, for, for an example, uh, your class, I, I think Russ talked about the, a construction worker, like what do you pay them? Like, do you, do you pay them like full, full price for what they're going to do? Or do you pay them by the hour? And like, oh. maybe, maybe they draw it out a little longer because, right. because yep. they're trying to make up that time and people at work do the same thing. Like a desk job is no different if if I have to be busy in your eyes, I will drag something out longer than <laughs> mm -hmm. necessary to right. do that. Yeah. So yeah. we're giving them busy work to try to keep them from doing that maybe. Or something. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, great. I think that's a good place to end. And so uh, I, if you have more questions about things or if you want to chime in on some of this stuff, you know, please send us an email info at gordoninstitute.org. So Russ, I guess I, I was going to say, outro. are you going to yeah. get a big sign I, I'm up? I'm not or? the outro guy. So. <laughs> so yes, on behalf of the Gortney Institute, appreciate listening. Uh, hit the old subscribe button if you want to have it plunked into your mailbox, and that gives us a signal. And also we have our uh, little donation button on our website as well. But other than that, be fruitful and multiplied. Thanks. <laughs>